Thank you for listening to the Competition Committee podcast. Check out new episodes every Thursday. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to our 12th episode of the Competition Committee. For those who are listening for the first time, we are a sports podcast where we find ways to make our favorite sports more fun for the fans. I'm your host, Parker, alongside with JJ. And in today's episode, we'll talk about ESPN's most recent layoffs in the NFL gambling policy, play a game called Order These Losers, talk about the NBA retention incentives kind of change that we want to institute. And of course, we'll read off some emails our listeners have sent us to wrap up the show. This episode's committee pundit is Campbell. How are you faring tonight, sir? Doing really good. I'm happy to be here. It's crazy. Episode 12. I feel like you guys have a party when you get to 20. It's been uh, flying by. It's been fun. All right. Well, let's just jump right in here. We'll start off with some sad news. Like I said, ESPN announced they were laying off about 20 of their network's on-air talent. And some of the big names include Jeff Van Gundy, Jalen Rose, Keyshawn Johnson, Max Kellerman, Susie Colbert, Steve Young, Neil Everett, and Todd McShay. This comes in the aftermath of, aftermath of Disney, who is the parent company of ESPN, who has reported a tide of losses in their revenue from their streaming services as traditional television sees a decline in viewership. Earlier in May, Disney announced that the revenue has declined 7%, which made Bob Iger, this, their CEO, announce a plan to cut costs by $5.5 billion and eliminating 7,000 jobs in the process. It's kind of a little bit of a controversy because they're cutting off all this on-air talent, but they're bringing in a very big personality, internet personality with Pat McAfee. Just recently, he signed a five-year, $85 million contract for him and his show to join ESPN. So, gentlemen, what do you think of this out with the old, in with the new situation going on with ESPN? When I think of losing someone like Jeff Van Gundy, I just I just can't imagine him watching the NBA Finals. Like, he has been such a vital part of that crew, Mike Green and... and um, Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson, thank you. That's a that's a big miss by me. But I just don't know how that's going to be the same, in my opinion. I know when I was watching our, I think I was talking to friends, they were watching the Open recently, and they had the commentator, commentator on there was just terrible. So it does make a difference. So I'm just curious to see how they're going to replace it. Because those three guys had some chemistry, and they were always fun to listen to. I enjoyed them because they just had random stuff come, coming out of anywhere. So it was good. I guess I've got a couple of thoughts. I thought it would be interesting to look at Steve Young and really look at Steve Young and compare him to Tony Kornheiser. So Steve Young makes about $2 million a year with ESPN. Tony Kornheiser, depending on where you find your information, makes either $1.5 million a year or $2 million a year from ESPN. So they make about the same. But what Steve Young does is he all he does, in essence, is the football expert on the Monday Night Countdown show. Tony Kornheiser is on PTI. And if you think about it for a second, PTI has the expense of Kornheiser and Wilbon, that's their expensive talent, and whatever costs they have 
to air their show, and they get five shows a week out of that. It costs almost nothing for them to put that show on. If you think about Monday Night Countdown, Monday Night Countdown gets a lot of viewers, but gets a lot of viewers not because Steve Young's on it. It gets a lot of viewers because it's about to go into Monday Night Football. I think you could take a $2 million person and replace them with somebody who they only pay $400,000 for, and it won't change the ratings at all. So I bet it makes sense, even though I hate to see Steve Young go. Yeah, and I think what they're doing is also seeing who the on-air personalities, if they're versatile or not. Are they covering more than one sport? Because a lot of these guys that they let go are only covering one specific specific sport, and they're not really doing much the rest of the year. I think they've kept a lot of the people who are doing not only NBA, but they're doing NBA or hockey or hockey and football or vice versa. So I think they're just, you know, trying to cut the people that are doing the least throughout the year as well. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right there too, but I know I said, it makes me sad because I'm losing some people I enjoy listening to, but I guess I also got to think, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Dan Levitard fan. And when he left ESPN, he's created, you know, partnered with metal arc media and he's making i think probably four times more than he ever made at espn and he's doing way more shows and he has way more content out there so it might be you know sad in the short run but in in the long term it might be better for these guys to get more content out there and to start their own new things and be trailblazers in their own rights i think levitard's different i think levitard's more like tony kornheiser he was creating content for espn that didn't require them to pay the NFL a huge sum of money or pay the NBA a huge sum of money. He was getting people who were coming to listen just to him. So when he left, he can create a following wherever he is. He doesn't need ESPN to have a following. It probably would have made a lot more sense for them to spend more money and try to keep him. There's a couple other interesting things going on. ESPN has announced that they're shutting down uh, ESPN Radio Deportes, their Spanish ESPN radio network. They just announced that they're getting rid of their number one ESPN radio show. Now, I hate to admit it, I haven't listened to ESPN radio in a long time because I mostly listen to podcasts about sports. But they have a radio show that I guess has got Max Kellerman, Keyshawn Johnson, and Jay Williams on it. And it was a daily radio show, and they were paying... Keyshawn Johnson, $18 million over a four-year period, about $4.5 million a year. It's hard for me to think Keyshawn Johnson is worth $4.5 million a year to talk on the radio. Now, in fairness, maybe I'm too old to appreciate Keyshawn Johnson. Former Buck. It brings up the importance of what McAfee is bringing. He is bringing his YouTube following. He doesn't have the radio this new audience, this new up and coming audience, you're right. They don't listen to radio. It's all on the internet now. And it's, I, I, I didn't check his YouTube subscriber count, but it's far and above almost any other show that ESPN is, is running right now. Pat McAfee, who doesn't just cover football, he is the new wave. He is what the ESPN wants, which is digging into the internet market and drawing in the viewers that way. What they're doing is they're paying for his viewers. Right. They're paying for his viewers. I guess I had one other thing that's worth noting. ESPN had an off-air 
cut a few months ago where they got rid of a lot of off-air talent, people who ran cameras, people who were producers. ABC is owned by Disney as well. And about two months ago, Nate Silver, Nate Silver is the man who created 538. 538 is the, originally it was a sports statistical analysis company that ABC bought and turned it into a political statistical analysis company. And they let him go two months ago. They kept 538. So 538 still exists, but the founder of 538 no longer works for 538 or ABC. And I'm sure he was very, very expensive, but he was building models that they were still using. So it's just interesting that ABC is making cuts everywhere. My thought was, I think in a way, you know, kudos to ESPN, because like you're saying, JJ, like no one listens to the radio anymore. I think the last time I listened to ESPN radio was when I was in a freshman in high school. My mom would drive me to school. We'd listen to Mike and Mike in the morning. And that's the last memory I have of listening to ESPN radio. So I think as the way we consume our media and our, you know, sports is changing, these big corporations are going to have to change with it. Before we segue to the NFL gambling segment, I did want to point out that their revenue declined 7%. And this is after the NHL Stanley Cup finals and after the NBA finals. So I'm not sure. That's, I mean, that's pretty big for them to lose that much percent in revenue after their big time broadcasts. So something to note. Let's dig into the NFL gambling policy. And another day has gone by and we have some more players that have been suspended by the NFL for what they're saying players have been gambling on NFL games. So just recently, last Thursday, the league announced that Isaiah Rogers and Rashad Berry, along with free agent Demetrius Taylor, have been suspended indefinitely through the end of the 2023 NFL season for gambling on NFL games. The NFL summarized these rules in six real simple sentences. One, don't bet on the NFL. Two, don't gamble at your team facility while traveling on the road or staying at a team hotel. Three, don't have somebody bet for you. Four, don't share inside information. Five, don't enter a sports book during NFL playing season. And six, this one's surprising, don't play fantasy football. There's another one that they mention, but it's not in their list. And this is the one that has the big hypocrisy in it. And that is you're not allowed to associate with any known gamblers. What does the NFL do? They have built associations with DraftKings, MGM, and FanDuel. They have established relationships and associations with known betters, and yet they're prohibiting their employees from doing the same. I understand why they're doing it, but it is very hypocritical. Yeah, and as somebody who dabbles in sports gambling, especially in the NFL, it is kind of terrifying that a player would bet on themselves. And most people would think, yeah, they would bet on themselves to win, but that's not necessarily the case all the time. And so to think that 
my wager might be compromised because they're placing their own individual bet on themselves is scary. And another thing people might not know is that there's things called prop bets. And there's more to betting than just winning on a or betting on a team to win or lose. These players who are mostly betting prop bets, which is okay, today I'm going to wager that I'm going to rush for over 100 yards or under 100 yards. If they're playing another team that doesn't have a good running back, they can wager that the other team's running back isn't going to have as many rushing yards. These are the type of bets mostly that the players are betting on. Okay, two things. First, Parker, your bets are compromised because there are smarter people with much more information than you have betting against you. So this is a bad gamble to start with. However, I don't think NFL players are being suspended for betting on the NFL. They're suspended. They're getting suspended for breaking these rules. To my knowledge, there aren't any allegations of anybody actually betting on an NFL game that they're playing in. Instead, they're betting. They're betting the same way that MGM and DraftKings advertises you should bet. You should bet to have skin in games you watch. Yeah, I guess I got a couple of thoughts too. I mean, I get what you're saying, Parker, but I, it's literally it's like it's gambling. You know, I mean, why? Why? That's the part of the risk of it. It's it's nothing is guaranteed. So, you know, you're gambling, and these guys are gambling, and everyone's making. You know, everyone's got money in the pot. It's that's the nature of the game. It's not like it's guaranteed money. No one's by you making your bet. It's not like you're guaranteed to get that money. Same with those guys. So I don't know, like I, to me, and then I get what JJ is saying too. It's a terrible look, in my opinion, for the NFL to be, you know, waving their finger at these guys saying, no, you can't affiliate with known gamblers. Then the NFL has no players. Like who's supposed to play these games if they can't affiliate with known gamblers, which is their league, their commissioner. It makes no sense. Yeah. The answer to all your questions is money. It's always money. The NFL is going to make a tremendous amount of money associating themselves with these gamblers. So that's why they're doing it. And they don't mind being a little bit hypocritical. I think the big thing that NFL players have that is extremely valuable that the NFL doesn't want them to use is they have inside knowledge. They know when somebody is hurt or playing hurt and other people don't. And if you share that information, with other people, you can give them a huge advantage. If they know a player isn't going to be 100%, then they can make those prop bets that Parker's talking about and make money. The NFL is trying to make gambling as fair as possible and trying to keep a clean reputation. They're following the money. Real quick, this this past player that recently got suspended, Isaiah Rogers, he is a cornerback for the Indianapolis Colts. And he placed a $1,000 bet related to his own team in which he bet that his own running back would go under the rushing yards total for that particular game. And he won that bet. It's knowing your teammates. I still think that's the exception. What about that crazy LSU coach, baseball coach that knew his pitcher wasn't going to start. So he calls somebody at a racetrack in New York City and they place a bet on him. And the reason that this bet got caught was because there's not very much money bet on college baseball. And all of a sudden this giant bet shows up and it, 
it puts up a red flag that they always investigate. And they are very, very good about knowing what, where the device is that is placing the vet bet. So they knew where this device was. They were able to track a phone call and track it right back to this coach. And of course he got fired and won't be coaching for a very long time. The point of this story, they will catch you. So don't gamble. We'll take a brief break. And when we come back, we'll play a game called order these losers. Parker, if we make it big with this podcast, we're going to need a business consultant. Let's use Arthur Anderson. They advised Enron and WorldCom. That seemed to go pretty well. Arthur Anderson. We've got the solutions you never knew you didn't need. Welcome back, everybody, to the competition committee. Before I hand the mic over to JJ for our game, I do have a error that I want to correct. We stated that the LSU baseball coach was recently fired for suspicious bets related to other teams. It was Brad Bohannon from Alabama who was recently fired, the Alabama baseball coach. And that is the most classic name for an Alabama baseball coach. That man was born to do that job. He had no choice. Came out of the womb coaching baseball. Parker, I love the way you said we made a mistake. I made the mistake and the two of you caught it. Thank you. Okay, let's play a game called Order These Losers. We've played this twice and twice the game has not worked very well because it's been way too hard. So this is Campbell. This is your first time playing this game. It is. And I believe that I have categories that are going to be easier and we have a chance of being successful. So I have six categories. Campbell, you're the guest. You get to go first. Pick a number one to six. Let's go lucky number two. Number two. I am going to read five teams to you and I want you to list them in the most, these are NBA teams, the most regular season losses in the last 10 years. So you're going to go from the team that lost the most to the team that lost the least. Most to least, okay. And I can I can make an attempt to steal? That's right. You can, if Campbell gets this wrong, you can steal to get one point. But if you're wrong on your steal, you lose two points. Mm. Wow. <laughs> Risky business. How about that? You've got the Warriors the Magic, the Clippers, the Grizzlies, and the Lakers. Most regular season losses in the last 10 years. Let's go Magic at the least, for the least, or for, for the most winning. So they're at the bottom of the list, number five. The most losses. No, the most losses, correct, sorry. Okay. And then we're going to go um, Clippers. Then we'll go Grizzlies. And then who are the two other teams? Lakers and who else? Lakers and Warriors. Okay, then we'll just we'll just keep it how it is. We'll go Warriors and then Lakers. So you're saying the Magic had the most losses and the Lakers had the least losses. That's correct. So you have Magic, Clippers, Grizzlies, Warriors, Lakers, and you are terribly wrong. Ah. So you did not get it. That was a brutal comment right there. Terribly wrong. Parker, you want to steal? I think I do. Least amount of team or least amount of wins first is Grizzlies, Magic, 
Lakers, Clippers, Warriors. Here's the correct order. The most losses were the Magic. Oh, by the way, you didn't get it right. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so it is now zero to minus two. I'm in the positive. The, the most losses were Magic, the Magic. Lakers were the second most losses. I should tell you, Magic got 555 losses. The Lakers had 489 losses. Then the Grizzlies had 397 losses. And this was a surprise to me. The Clippers only had 325 losses. And the Warriors, the least losses at 300. We are zero to two. Parker, pick a number. Don't pick two. Give me six. I want you to give me college programs with the least number of players in the NFL. I'm going to read five college programs for you. You give me the least number in the NFL. I got Alabama, Tennessee, Penn State, Air Force, Vanderbilt, and Georgia. You're going to give me those in the order from least to most. Number one, I'm going to do Air Force. Number two, Tennessee. Three, Penn State, Georgia, and then Alabama at five. Talking about errors, I actually have six teams written down here. You forgot Vanderbilt. Where do you want to put Vanderbilt? (laughs) Oh. Again, this game's in protest because, again, I messed it up. You know what? I'll just take Vanderbilt out. I'll just take Vanderbilt out of the equation. That's always a good idea. I'll always take them out of the equation. Get them out of the SEC. Parker, you are correct. Oh. Air Force Air Force has two. Tennessee has 23. Penn State has 35. Georgia has 44. And Alabama has 58. Just for kicks and giggles, where do you think Vanderbilt fits in there? Between Air Force and Tennessee. That is correct. Parker, wow. you have gotten yourself up to minus one. That just doesn't seem right. I mean, that should be like three points or something. Because I think that's the first time I've like anybody's gotten one right. I think it's the first time anyone's ever gotten one. Yeah, there's yeah. there's some problems with this game. Campbell, pick one, three, four, or five. Give me three. Number three. This is the major. This is Major League Baseball. Most MLB regular season losses in the last ten years. I have the Reds, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Marlins, and the Rays. Tampa Bay. I think we'll go Reds with the most, so there'll be five. There'll be one. There'll be one, sorry. Fourth of, Fourth of July weekend. Um, <laughs> then I got, let's go, <laughs> let's go. Oh my goodness. Let's go Rays. Sorry, Parker. They've been good recently. No, I'm sorry. Let's go. Let's go Reds. Then let's go Marlins. Then Rays. Then uh, Dodgers and Yankees. That is incorrect. I want to steal and I want to steal bad. I want to steal this one and I know I'm going to get it right. Okay. Here we go. Number one, Marlins, Reds, Yankees, Rays, Dodgers. Book it. I'm back up to even. That is so close, but just barely wrong. Oh, jeez. 
Is it the Yankees and Rays? Are they flipped? The Yankees and Rays are flipped. Marlins had most losses at 956. Then the Reds at 899. Then the Rays at 782. Then the Yankees at 727. Then the Dodgers at 664. Dang it. So I'm minus three? You are minus three. It's a great round of golf. But you came really close. There, are, this, this scoring needs to be adjusted this game somehow for, for getting close. We're going to have to propose a rule change for this game. That's right. Parker, you got one, four, or five. Give me one. Okay, number one. Most NFL regular season losses in the last 10 years. Patriots, Giants, Jaguars, Titans, Cowboys. Oof. That's a bunch of mediocre teams. Yes. A lot of eight and eights. All right. I'm going to think backwards here again because that gave me success. I'm going to do... These differences are bigger than you th- you guys are thinking. Really? I'm ready. Are you ready? Yes. Number one, I'm going to do Jacksonville Jaguars. Number two, the Giants. Three, the Titans. Four, Cowboys. Five, Patriots. That is perfect. And I'm still losing. Yeah, there's a scoring problem in this game. Jaguars had 127 losses. Then the Giants, 107 losses. Then the Titans, 94 losses. The Cowboys, 76 losses. And the Patriots, only 55 losses. I personally love the scoring system. There's a beauty in being perfectly (laughs) mediocre. (laughs) Okay, you got four or five, Campbell. I'll take five. Most starting NFL quarterbacks from 2011 to 2021. I'm going to give you five teams. You tell me who had the most starting quarterbacks. And and in this case, you're going to give me the highest number and work your way down. Because we would think of having a lot of starting quarterbacks as making you a losing team. Okay, we have Titans, Falcons, Packers, Titans, and Broncos. In that 10-year period. We said Titans twice. Titans, Falcons, Packers, Broncos. The first one, I should have said Texans if I said Titans. Texans, okay, Texans. All right, so the team with the most starting QBs. That means they started one game during the year. By the way, you're going to be shocked about who's number five on this (laughs) list. This is a total shot in the dark here, to be honest with you guys. But I'm going to give it a college try because that's what I do here. Let's go Texans because they're always bad. Then we're going to go Broncos. Titans, Falcons, Packers. That was so close, but wrong. Ah. You can't help yourself, can you, Parker? You're going to try to steal this, aren't you? I I don't know this one. I will not steal, but can I say Falcons at five? Is that right? That's correct. Ah, my dirty birds. Titans had, I'm sorry, the Texans had 10. The Broncos had nine. The Titans had seven. The Packers had three. And this is astounding. The Falcons had one starting quarterback for 10 years. Matty Ice. That's old reliable right there. Mm-hmm. Just throw him out there. Book it. You get your 200 yards, four interceptions, and one touchdown. <laughs> That's why he's always on the bench. 
I like number four, the one you're about to get, Parker. Here we go. The most major league baseball playoff losses in the last 10 years. This is interesting because it's a good team that made the playoffs a lot, but didn't, but then lost a lot of games. Okay. Hit me. You got the Mariners, the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Mets, Metropolitans, and the Astros. Okay. Most losses. So my thought process here is most people think the Mets would probably be number one, but they haven't made the playoffs enough to accumulate losses. But when they do, they do lose. They do lose when they're there. They're still going to be near the top. Okay. I think this is right. And if I get this right, it's going to be something here. Okay. Number five. So I'm working bottom up. Dodgers. Number four, Astros. Wait, wait. Wait, you're supposed to give me the team with the most losses. You got to right. play the game right, Parker. No, no, I'm I'm, work, I'm saying the Dodgers are five. They've had the least amount of losses. But I'll start at the okay. top. How about that? Okay. You got to play the game right, Parker. Okay, I'll start at number one. Yankees have the most playoff losses out of this group. Number two, the Mets. Three, the Dodgers. Three, the Mariners. Sorry. Four Astros, five Dodgers. <laughs> That's the sigh of disappointment right there. <laughs> You're so bad wrong. Golly. <laughs> Incomprehensible to me how bad wrong you are. It makes I want to make Man. sure you understood the rules. You were trying to tell me number one would have the most losses. Yes. Because they made they go to the playoffs so often that they lose. The most oh man, I, yeah. Dodgers! You, Dodgers are the most losing team in all of postseason history. Would you? Would you like to, st- Campbell? You could steal this. Oh, if you if you don't steal this, you win zero to minus two. If you do steal this, you whip him one to minus two. Or if you miss it, you're minus two to minus two. How would you like to play it? Let's let's make this a game. I think I'm going to I think I'm going to steal here. Okay, so I'm going to say. I'm going to go from five to one here, JJ. So five being the team that's done the most losing. Oh, you guys keep doing this wrong. One being the team that has the most losing. What's wrong with you? Okay, okay, here we go. One being the most losing. Here we go. Dodgers number one because Clayton Kershaw can't close a game. Two will be the Yankees. Three are going to be the Mariners. Parker got that one right. Um, Four will be the Mets, and five will be the Astros. Okay, maybe we should never play this game again. I thought this was (laughs) going to be so much easier than this. As you might have, from from the sound of my voice, you did not get this correct. So it finishes minus two to minus two. Okay, the Dodgers had the most losses by a long shot, 47 losses. And Parker thought they had the least losses. They were in the playoffs a lot in the last 10 years. The Yankees were second. So, so far, Campbell, you're perfect. That's what I'm thinking here. Where'd I go wrong? You went Mariners. The Mariners only made the playoffs one time in the last 10 years. They lost two games and they were swept right out. Um, Heck of a run, though. So. Ichiro Suzuki and them boys. So, it should have been Dodgers at 47, Yankees at 30. I'm sorry, Dodgers at 47, Astros at 36. 
then Yankees at 30, then Mets at nine, and then Mariners at only three. Okay. There's a chance. This this is going to have to be so easy next time that it's going to be, here are five letters, put them in alphabetical order. Hey, I got three right. This I got three right. You're right. Okay, we'll adjust the scoring system next time. Maybe you get two points for getting it right and only one, lose one point if you challenge. We got to do something to make this a little bit better. Let's not discredit the run I had. I mean, that was an excellent showing by me. That was impressive. You got two right. I guess we need to go to break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit of NBA. We'll be right back. Parker, can you help me figure out how to use this Apple heart rate gastrointestinal deep magna monitor? Well, I think you might be on your own figuring this one out. Apple Electronics. Our products are so innovative, they confuse even us. Welcome back, everybody. We are here to talk some NBA in a new change that JJ is going to propose to try to help with the retention for teams. Talk to us a little bit more about it. Well, I'm going to show my age here. And listeners, if you haven't figured this out, Parker and Campbell are a little bit younger than me. I go back to the NBA, and I like teams that stay together. I liked uh, Bird Celtics, Magic Johnson, and Kareem's Lakers, Isaiah and the Bad Boy Pistons, Mm. Jordan and Pippen's Bulls, and even Steph Curry and Clay Thompson's Warriors. So we have a teams there that stayed together, and those guys stayed with those teams mostly for their entire careers and built teams there. I think this take your talents to Miami has been terrible for the NBA. LeBron, Cavaliers, then Heat, then Cavaliers, then Lakers. Kevin Durant, five teams. James Harden, four teams. Kyrie Irving, four teams. Chris Paul, five teams. So before I give you the solution to this, I guess I'm going to ask the young guys, do you think it's a problem the way I think it's a problem? Yes, I would say to me it seems like the players are just trying to find the quickest team for them to get a ring, and they're just constantly searching for a team that's the best set up to win a championship and they're just requesting a trade and it seems more recently teams are willing to accommodate that. Man, I don't know. I'm going to play the devil's advocate here because you have people and I'm sometimes one of these people that I almost think the off season of the NBA is just as exciting or more exciting than the actual season of the NBA because you got these hypotheticals. They're like right now, where's Damian Lillard going? He's obviously the hottest free agent right now that wants to trade and that's like he could change this the face of the league this next season depending on where he goes and he wants to go to Miami and that's interesting to me and I don't know every now and then you do get the that sweet release like JJ is talking about where you have guys that stick it out and win the win a chip there you can have that you know we had that in Dallas with Dirk had that in San Antonio those are a couple of recent teams I'm thinking of you're probably going to have it again in Denver but um I I, I personally like these guys on the move well, people aren't going to tell their grandkids about how they enjoyed seeing James Harden play for four different teams the same way that they're going to talk about Bird 
and McHale and the Celtics um, playing against the Lakers and and the beauty of that. Let's, you're right, but I'll tell you what. If James Harden decides to come to Atlanta and they win a championship in Atlanta, I'll forever tell my kids and my grandkids, James Harden, best NBA player ever because he got Atlanta a championship. And if you're doing it for your city and for your hometown. I mean, yeah, I get I get that it's a little bit excessive seeing these guys go five teams in two seasons. Eh, that's a little much. They're being a little prima donnas, but it doesn't matter until they come to your city and they win because that's what it's about. And that's what you want to see as a fan, and that's what makes the sport fun. I'm going to argue that some teams should be bad and just stay bad. And there should be teams that are good and they stay good. The Bulls should always be good. The Lakers should always be good. The Celtics should always be good. No, no. Okay, well, then you're not going to like this idea. But let me present the idea anyway. What I have is an idea of how we could help teams keep their players together so that cities could have players that stay there their whole career or nearly their whole career. Here's what I propose, that the NBA set up a rule that every year you stay with your team and you play 60% of the total minutes available, you get 10% more than your contract value. And that is not charged against the salary cap. So if a player, we'll just say a player with a $10 million a year contract, plays his 60% of his minutes. On year two, he'll get $11 million instead of $10 million. Year three, he'll get 12. Year four, he'll get 13 and so on. And that doesn't count against the salary cap. So this would, this would make it advantageous for te- people to stay. If you look at somebody like Kevin Durant, if, if you used my rule and Kevin Durant had stayed in the same team, what I guess was Seattle, it became Oklahoma. His contract right now is $42 million. If he had stayed at the same team, he would be getting $105 million instead of $42 million. I think this is a big enough amount of money that the players would become interested in it and you would have some players who would stay in the same teams and build dominant teams. Who's paying this extra percentage for their retention bonus? Is it the team or is it the league? It's the team. The team's got more money than they know what to do with. The only reason they don't <laughs> spend the money is because they got salary caps. Okay. So so if you have a bad owner who's not willing to spend the extra money, then you won't have a good team. Why wouldn't you just do this for the one-year contract people? Because if they're already under contract, they're going to stay with the team unless they request a trade. But I feel like a lot of these players that are searching to jump to a new team is because they're in a contract the year and they know that next year they're going to be up for a new contract. They're going to be moving around. Why not just do this for the players that are under the one-year contracts and just tell them you'll get a bonus if you stay with us the next year? I think a lot of these guys are making these moves not for more money. They're making these moves so that they can play with their friends and win a, win a ring. The it's true the salary cap is pretty complicated in the NBA. You got that luxury tax too. Another reason why players would want to leave, not only to play with their friends, but also because the city that they play in. Nobody's desperately trying to go to Oklahoma City and play for a team. I think the majority of players that are 
on OKC are players that are they they drafted or it's these veterans that they might not have a lot of other choices and OKC is one of their only options. I'm going to go old school again. Utah is the whitest city in the country. <laughs> State and Utah had I should say Salt Lake City is the whitest city in the whitest state in the country. <laughs> and the Utah Jazz, another oxymoron, there's no jazz in Utah, had a team <laughs> that competed against the Bulls over and over again with plenty of black players. There were people willing to live there and play for a team and play for a good coach and a chance to win a championship. Did you talk about you talking about like this is the, the, what you're comparing to. Yeah, I don't even know how to describe it right because obviously I'm not in the league and I can't speak for the players. But you listen, I listen to podcasts, I hear people talk, and no one wants to go to Utah. There's not one free agent that wants to go to Utah. When the All Star game was in Salt Lake City two years ago, no one was happy about it because there's no nightlife. So I, I think a lot of it is like what Parker's saying is you got to have the demographic and you got to have these guys with these cities that they enjoy doing stuff in and. I'm not disagreeing. I'm just making the point that this system would have Kevin Durant making $105 million this year instead of $42 million. That's generational wealth. That is a lot. And he makes that much more every year. Yeah, it gives the player another option to, okay, yes, I get this 10% bonus if I stay. It gives them that thought process of, okay, yeah, I – I would rather stick it out for that bonus and see, you know, what the front office has in store for. It, it's not, it's not a 10% bonus. It's a 10% bonus the first year, a 20% bonus the second year, a 30% bonus. So this is something that just makes it more and more advantageous for you to stay. And it doesn't hurt the salary cap so they can bring players in that can help you win. But yeah, I mean, it is, it's a cool idea. I'll give you that. It's a cool idea. But I think, in the NBA, what makes these guys special that do stick out with one franchise is because, sure, there's other – they can go play with their friends in Miami or they can go play with their friends somewhere else and have a better shot at winning a ring. But those guys that do stay with one franchise, they're just have – they're just different. You know, They want to stick it out. They want to be these tough guys. And um, I just think it's part of their culture and what makes them fun to watch. So I think if you incentivize that with this rule, I think you'll see less that kind of – I don't know, that mentality of these guys sticking out because they want to. Because now it's like, oh, if I stay, you know, I get rewarded, which is, you know, you would think if you have if you have the generational talent and you want him to stay with your franchise, you'd think the front office would do that anyway. It doesn't always happen, but I, I don't know. I think it would make maybe that even less special of these guys that stick it out with one franchise. I don't know. Well, it's hard to get a rule passed when when the two guys that I'm trying to convince – don't even like the intended results of the rule. So when we vote on this, I'm not expecting it to go very well. I don't have any more arguments to make for it. I like I like it. I'm just pointing out the fact that I think most players move for the demographic of the city rather than the quote-unquote friends. I do think it would help with this new proposed rule change would help players stick around with their teams. It's not going to help. It's not going to happen to every single player, but it's definitely going to help teams stay or help players stay on the teams for a longer period of time. Because you're right. I mean, every year it bumps up 10, 20, 30%. I mean, I would do it, even if I played in OKC. 
No, I I agree. I agree with what Parker said too. Like I, the, the result of this, it'd be awesome. Like if I'm with Parker, if it was me, I would do it as well. Not you wouldn't have, I wouldn't think twice, but I think in the superstars in today's NBA, they can make similar money by being free agents every two years and getting super maxes and bouncing around the league. You know, I, I think that they don't want to be limited to staying with one team when they have that ability to, that kind of mobility. But, so, but they couldn't do. They couldn't make as much money because you could still get the super max staying with your team. So the point is, you could always make more money directly from the NBA. Yeah. Now maybe you don't make as much money if you're in uh, Oklahoma City as you would if you're in Los Angeles because of your other opportunities. I don't know. Yeah. Let's vote okay. on this. I've I, I've lost my ability to to argue this. Okay. Campbell, start us off. One to ten, no seven. Um, I'm giving it. I'm giving it a two. Oof, brutal. <laughs> An incredibly low score. Yeah, JJ, yeah, what is <laughs> JJ? What is your score? Well, I'm probably only going to give it an eight. Pretty good idea, but I don't think it's a great idea. I will fall in between you guys. I will give it a five. Five plus two plus eight, fifteen. Average is five. It does not make it. All right, Adam Silver. Do not be expecting anything this episode. It was an interesting proposal, though. All righty, we'll take a brief commercial break. Can we come back? We'll dig into the email bag. Stay tuned. Parker, do you think Waffle House is a safe place for someone with a gluten allergy to eat? Well, I'm not sure Waffle House is a safe place for anybody to eat. Waffle House. Are hash browns are gluten-free? Probably not. Hell, lady, we have a hard time keeping our food roach-free. All right, we are back with some emails that our listeners have sent us. Our first one is from Dave from Pittsburgh. He writes... TCC boys, I heard about this one a couple years ago, and I really like it. If the quarterback takes possession of the ball for a second time during the play, all offensive players become eligible receivers. I bet you will vote this one another 10. Dave from Pittsburgh. I like it, Dave. So let me try to break this down here. Let's say the quarterback hands it off to the running back, and they want to do a flea flicker play. And he, the running back, passes it back to the quarterback. Everybody is an eligible receiver. Am I reading this correct? I think that's what he's saying. Okay, that would be so much fun. Yeah the the first thing I'm thinking of is a flying V formation where you throw it to a the center, and all of the offensive linemen form into a V, and they're just plowing through the field with <laughs> all of the offensive linemen. <laughs> Heading towards the end zone, that'd be awesome. <laughs> be like rugby. I like that. I think this would drastically increase the number of flea flickers we see. Because it would be it would just be so interesting. You would just have one of those linemen. It, it's almost like Parker, your favorite play is the screen. Yes. Your favorite play is the screen. This is kind of like the screen. One lineman uh slips his block. And then just goes about four or five yards out, isn't covered by anybody. The running back turns around and throws it back to the quarterback. And then you've got it, you've got a guy wide open. 
to catch the ball and run until he gets tackled. That is the scariest thing any defender can look at is a offensive lineman with the ball running full speed, already in full-on sprint, <laughs> heading towards you. Because offensive linemen aren't deking. They're not going to juke you out. They're running through you. Yeah. That's a horrifying <laughs> yeah. sight. Yeah, I would, I would step out of the way, and I would love to see that on TV. So I love this idea. Let's make it happen. Let's get Goodell on it. This needs to be happening by, by September. This is awesome. <laughs> I I can't think of a downside. I think this is a great idea. The creativity these new offensive minds would have a feel. Oh yeah, and there's a million things you can do with this, and you can even see it coming. And defense like the defense won't even have time to prepare. They're just the offense brings out their jumbo set, almost like eight. <laughs> Six or seven offensive linemen. They're just like, here we go. There's no way we can stop this. I mean, <laughs> yeah. just automatic touchdown. Well, do we want to vote on it? JJ, you want to lead us off? Yeah. I. You know how I vote when I like something. I think it's a 10. I think it's a great idea. Campbell? I'm with JJ. I'm giving this a 10. Let's do it. Three tens. I agree. This is amazing and hilarious all at the same time. It seems that our emailers are better at this than we are because we've now had two tens, both of them coming from emailers, and I don't think I've ever got anything higher than an 8.6. That's hilarious. When you get when you get Dave from Pittsburgh on the show. That's right. That's right. We need, we need to contact him. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. This is from Spencer from Danville, Virginia. He writes, guys, TV shows are now better than movies. I agree. They are probably they have probably been better than movies since Breaking Bad premiered about 15 years ago. I also agree. So here's the question. What sports story would be a great TV series? I think my answer is a show about the 1972 Dolphins undefeated season. The characters are big. Don Shula, Bob Greasy, Larry Zonka, Mercury Morris, and the no-name defense. The story is dynamic with Greasy's breaking his with Greasy breaking his ankle in game 5 and the aging Earl Morrill finishing the undefeated run to the Super Bowl. Here are my here are my choices for the main characters. 42-year-old Don Shula played by Rami Malek, Mr. Robot. Bob Greasy played by Zac Efron from High School Musical and Larry Zonka played by Chris Pratt from Guardians of the Galaxy. I definitely like the idea of bringing uh, the TV shows in because every time you get any type of sports TV show or the 30 for 30s or any type of these dramas or whatever you call them, they're always good. So I think uh, I think that'd be a lot of fun. The only one that I could think of had the rise, fall, and redemption of Tiger Woods. I think that would be a good TV series. Who would play Tiger Woods? Um, that's a good question. Let me uh, have to get a Hollywood insider insider on that. Yeah, I don't know. I have to. Put some feelers out. You got any ideas? Denzel. Denzel? Yeah, that'd be good. Hmm. JJ, who would who would play Tiger Woods? <laughs> who's who's that comedian who's really small but real muscular? Oh, Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart. <laughs> no, because <if> you, <laughs> we could just put the rock out there and we'll have him play Tiger Woods. <laughs> the rock could play every race, so that's the yes. perfect person to to play oh, Tiger. <laughs> JJ, what do you think? I want to go back to what he's proposing. To me, it just seems astounding that Don Shula was once 42 years old. I mean, I've spent my whole life him being an old man. He's chronically old. I agree with you. 
But 40, he was 42 years old when he went undefeated. That's pretty impressive. I know some guys are younger than that now, but that wasn't even his first gig. He, he was with Baltimore before that. He was the head coach. I think that would be a really, really good series. Plus, I like anything set in the early 70s. I just think it's kind of fun. The music, the, the fashion, everything, the cars, it's kind of cool. I think it would make a real good TV show. Especially Miami in the early 70s. Are you kidding me? That'd be like musty TV. I'm going to leak some dark humor in, in my answer here. This might be bad, but I'm thinking about, what was it, 10 years ago, Penn State, the Jerry Sandusky scandal, and maybe have Kevin Spacey play that role. Just got to throw that one in there. Sorry, Kevin. He would be perfect, though, right? Yeah, he fits the role perfectly. You know what? Like, Penn State would not like would not like the making of this television show. You're yeah. going to have to pick some other university campus to, to make it on. I mean, it's a story that probably should be told, but it's yeah. not going to be a very happy story. No, it'd be very sad. And I don't think Kevin Spacey is going to get out of jail soon. Oh, mm. when it comes to what our ideas are, I've got a great idea. I, I would love to see a television show built around the Tour de France from 1999 to 2005. Those are the years that Lance won. But I don't think it should be told from Lance's perspective. Tyler Hamilton was a support writer for him. Tyler Hamilton wrote two books. The first book he wrote was about how he didn't dope and the story of his life. The second book he wrote was about how he told the truth and he told everything about doping. And it would be so interesting to see the rise of what was the postal team, them coming to Europe. The first year they were there, they were terrible. They weren't doping. Lance comes back from cancer. They start doping and they dominate the world. I think the story of doping, the story of Lance Armstrong, who apparently is a real jerk, told by (laughs) Tyler Hamilton. So the protagonist is Tyler Hamilton, the guy who was you know, right beside Lance for most of it, then eventually left and and went to work for his own team and competed against Lance. I just think there are so many good stories there and the scenery's beautiful. I just think it would make for a really good show. Yeah. For my real story, I would like to see Nick Kyrgios' story on a on a TV show. Breaking Point has kind of kind of touched into it a little bit on Netflix. He's got a lot of personal past that has shaped to how he is today on the tennis court and how he behaves. And I would love to see his past and how it affects his future. I think you've got to wait until his career is done. I agree. It would be a great story, but I just think it's too soon to tell it. I think you need to wait 10 years until he's done and I mean, the story, who knows how the story is going to turn out? He may, he may never be more than he is right now, but he may mm-hmm. win two or three Grand Slams. But I agree, it would be a really, really interesting story. A little bit like Andre Agassi, you know, he wrote that book, that uh, autobiography. And, and in that book, he essentially tells how he hates tennis. And my impression of Nick Kyrgios is he also hates tennis. He just happens to be gifted at it. I think Nick Kyrgios would much prefer to play basketball or some team sport, but he happens to be good at tennis. I think it would, I think it would make a great show. I don't know who you get to play him though. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I don't. We just get so, the Rock out there. He could do it. The Rock's <laughs> going to be too old. Otherwise, the Rock would be perfect for it. 
<laughs> and he's already Tiger Woods. So I've got to think of someone else. Oh. Nothing. That was a that was a great email. Who was this by? Dan or Spencer from Danville, Virginia. That was a that was a good email. Thank you. Well, that's going to wrap today's episode. I want to thank Campbell again for joining us today. I also want to thank our sponsors, Arthur Anderson, Apple Electronics, and the Waffle House. Help us make the competition committee a community. Send us your ideas for rule changes via the email machine at the competition committee at AOL.com. You can follow us on Twitter at underscore TCC podcast or find us on Facebook at the competition committee podcast. Please tell your friends about us. If you listen to us on Apple, please subscribe and give us a five-star review on Spotify. Thanks for listening this week and look for our new podcasts each Thursday. Sorry, Chief. White man sitting on spring.